Well, hello, friends. Ryan here, professional life coach, Enneagram educator, and your host for this episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram. You know, the Enneagram is a powerful tool for building understanding, compassion, and achieving growth in our lives, grounded by nine types or ways that our personalities and egos are structured. The conversations in this podcast are designed to illuminate the Enneagram in action by hearing directly from individuals who are working with the Enneagram and their type in their lives. The views reflected in these conversations are personal, and so what one person shares may not be true for all others who identify as their particular Enneagram type, and that's okay. My encouragement, listen with compassionate curiosity. Thanks for being with us. So today we are getting close to the world of Enneagram Type 2, often referred to as the giver. And our guest today is my friend Susan, who identifies as an Enneagram Type 2. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Ryan. I'm so happy (laughs) to be here. (laughs) Ryan, you and I have known each other a long time. And I love the Enneagram. You and I have never talked about it. So I'm really, really excited to to be here. I couldn't have said that better. We've known each other so long, but it wasn't until a couple months ago that we even introduced the concept of the Enneagram to our relationship. So I'm personally really looking forward to our conversation, and I appreciate you being willing to share it yourself so freely with our listeners. If it's okay with you, Susan, what I'd like to start with is just a as brief as I can, broad overview of the type for our listeners, and then we'll quickly get into a conversation between the two of us. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay, thanks. So, our Enneagram type two friends are what we refer to as a heart center type. This is something they have in common with Enneagram type three and type four. And this is an emotional intelligence that truly arises from the heart. And for the type two, gives folks a really warm and empathetic presence in the world. Their primary way of experiencing and processing the world is through emotions, through relationships in particular. We tend to be really people-oriented, nurturing folks and highly focused on the needs of others with a tendency to prioritize those relationships and that connection with others over their own needs. The giver, the type two, embodies this worldview, sometimes an unconscious even belief system, that the world gives you love when you give of yourself. So almost this give-to-get mentality. And so their attention is often on the needs of others, out of their desire for connection, out of their desire to be loved. Right, And who can't identify with that, wanting to be loved, wanting to be connected? But for the type two, the idea of becoming indispensable is so attractive. And so consequently, they develop this warm, empathetic, giving presence that can at times uh, become overly involved, controlling, sometimes even manipulative. And so we'll focus on two primary driving attentions or focuses for the giver type two. Uh, We'll refer to that as other people's needs and then 
pride. And so, again, this focus on other people's needs, especially what the giver feels are the needs of others, and especially for the people that the giver cares about or those who the giver wants to care about them. You see, the two is friendly, expressive, quick to give advice or support. They're so tapped into their heart center that they truly can sense the emotional needs of others. And they're generally really keen at developing good feelings in others, maintaining acceptance, approval of others. They'll go to really great lengths to avoid disappointing others. And out of this comes this sense of pride. And I don't mean arrogance by this. I really mean a deeply grounded sense of self-respect and self-worth that comes from this knowingness, this lived experience of, I am indispensable. I can handle it all. Whatever the issue is, I can help. I can make it happen. I can do it. They're willing to go above and beyond to help those that they care about. And these are gifts, right? Like, let's be clear about this. These are beautiful gifts. No doubt everyone listening today knows a two in their lives who they love for all of the reasons that I've just mentioned. I know there are many in my own life. But this can lead to stress for the two. This feeling needed by so many people, so many projects You know, at the same time, not taking the time to understand, let alone focus or really commit to what their own needs are. You know, there's this feeling and this sense that arises that for all of the help and support that they are providing to others, that their own needs are not being paid attention to or met. And remember, the two is warm, connected, friendly, helpful. And so now we're dealing with this stress and anxiety, but this projection of warmth and connection. And so left unchecked, this stress can really build up and lead to anger, intense, sudden anger, even emotional outbursts. But as a reminder, the root of this is a search for love, a search for connection. And so we'll talk about the the virtue for type two, the giver, this highest expression of what their potential is, the movement, the opportunity for growth and development. And I'll use the word humility for that. And so Humility being this state that is unencumbered by that sense of pride, that that need to identify a sense of self-importance. It's just this quality of open and honest self-awareness, self-assessment, a recognition that, yes, I've got strengths, and yes, I have limitations, a resting, confidence, a peace in what is the natural unfolding, the will of the universe which actually does not require us to do anything other than show up and be. So, I think it's important just to remind myself and anyone else who's listening, this is just a place for us to start. Susan, I want to invite you into this conversation, and you or other folks who are type 2s may not identify with everything I just shared, and that's totally okay. Ultimately, we're going to move now to prioritizing and hearing about your experience. So, I am excited. I hope you still are. Are you ready to, to jump in here? I am ready. All right. Well, maybe kick us off just by talking briefly about your experience as a two. Well, as you are speaking so beautifully and eloquently, you know, I'm nodding and laughing and 
you know, choked up at some points because it is just 100%, 150% everything that I am um, and have been. I didn't discover the Enneagram, obviously, as a child, but um, going back all the way to my childhood, the way that I grew up with a single mom who um, was not always stable and a lot of adults, I was the person who took care of everyone, even as a child. I was the person who was the sunshine, was the happiness when everyone else was kind of walking around with a dark cloud. And I became that person for my friends really early on. If anyone had a problem, you know, it was go to Susan and she'll help you through the the problem or navigating emotions from a really early age. Mm -hmm. And I also remember really vividly doing that thing that twos do at a really early age. When I was upset, I would leave in a very dramatic fashion with the whole no one cares about me. I'm not important. I do this for everyone else. And no one even notices that I'm gone. No one knows how to help me through my hard time. When in reality, um, I mean, I discovered as an adult that I wasn't allowing people to do that. Mm. I was purposefully isolating myself as a martyr, as a mm. victim. No one cares about me. I'm the only one who cares about other people. So yeah. that's... Well, Susan, can I stop you? I'm curious, like, why would you cover that up? I mean, as a kid, I think I covered it up because the messages that I got from all the kind of cuckoo adults that I had around me were that they couldn't handle whatever it was that I needed. Mm. So if I needed something small or big, you know, I was just going to kind of put that aside mm. for everybody else's well-being. And I continued to do that. And I mean, I continue to do it even today, although now I have become really aware of that tendency and I mean, I would say that that's largely due to the Enneagram mm. and doing a lot of reading and, and studying and, and learning about the Enneagram, not only with my adult children, with my coworkers, with my partner, has really helped, I think, those people in my life who care about me to get better at coaxing my needs out of me. Because they know that's something that I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. Let, let's follow that trail for just a minute. I mean, so I, I hear you referencing first an, an awareness of both what your tendencies are and what is eclipsed in the process of focusing on those tendencies. And so I think awareness is great. But then it sounds like also a really intentional focus, at least when you're at your best self, at focusing on what your needs are. So take us down that path a little bit further, maybe with an example, if you're willing to share. How does that play out for you? I think as a woman in this world and as a two, those are two really intense details that make it required to service the needs of other people especially as a mother. And I think as a mother, I went really far and abandoned all of my needs for the needs of my kids and my family, my mother, my kids, my family. And that's convenient and helpful because then you don't have to focus any attention on your own needs. And 
like I said, you can slip into that pattern of, oh, poor me. I'm doing, I'm doing all the heavy lifting. I'm doing all the work. No one is helping me. No one sees me. As I have gotten older and learned more about, like I said, the Enneagram, I mean, the easiest example that I can give is I'm navigating adult relationships with my kids. You know, my oldest daughter is 24. She has done a lot of learning and work about the Enneagram. Um, I mean, my two daughters have kind of side by side with me. Hmm. So she's able to say to me, all right, now you're going to talk to me about yourself. Hmm. Like when she says, how are you? And I say, fine. She now says, say more. Or (laughs) just yesterday I was talking about something that had happened. And I, as I do go, I went off on a tangent. And then I said, it's totally unnecessary to be telling you all of this. And she said, do you realize that you say that every time you talk about yourself? Hmm. Yeah. So have you given her permission, Susan, to do this? Or is it something that just naturally is evolved, you know, in your relationship? I think permission is a large word, but I, what I do think that she and I in particular, both my daughters, we have discussed how it's time to move to the next phase of our relationship. It's time for me to start sharing with them whatever I'm comfortable sharing more than just how are you? I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And then I change the subject and ask a question about how they are, what's going on with them. What do they need? How can I help? What can I do? How can I solve a problem? Mm -hmm. Because as they become adults, you know, they just, they don't need me. And that is absolute torture Mm -hmm. um, for a two. And so we've talked about, how our relationship moves forward. So I wouldn't say I've given her permission. Um, I mean, she doesn't, she's not, the older one is definitely not a person who asks for permission. Um, she's an eight. So she's okay. not going to wait for permission. She's just going to do it. Yeah. So she knows though, that that's helpful. And we've talked about how the quality of our relationship is one-sided and that's mm-hmm. because I don't share. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I want to take it a step further if we can. So it's, I think, you know, and maybe this is already inherent in the example that you're sharing, but so I think it's one thing to make yourself vulnerable by just sharing in general. What about moving to a place of sharing that is then also sharing that you need something? Yeah, that's hard. And I'm yeah. trying, I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think the people in my life, like um, specifically my my partner knows now how to take a step farther because I can tell you a story of something that happened, but that doesn't actually mean that I'm processing any of the feelings behind it. It's like mm-hmm. a big dramatic story of mm-hmm. he said this and she said that and then we did this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not actually focusing on how it felt. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just really distanced and that's my coping mechanism and the way that I've protected myself my whole life mm-hmm. um, from not opening up and being vulnerable and actually saying what I need. Now the people in my life are helping me by saying, what do you need? And honestly, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to sit in the, how do I even know what I need? 
because mm. I automatically am focused on what the other person would prefer or what would help the other person. Yeah. So I don't even know how to assess. I'm, I'm trying. I'm learning. I'm like yeah. a little baby on learning to walk. Yeah. So Susan, when someone says to you, when, I mean, especially I think someone who you care about, who you know well, you know, be it your daughter or a close friend or your partner or whatever the situation is and says to you, what do you need? And I hear you saying that your answer on that right now or many times is, I don't know. I'm curious to check in, like, so what does that feel like for someone to say, what do you need? And then for you to sit and go, God, I don't know. No, it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. And like, and, and say, say more uncomfortable in what way? There are so many levels of it being so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable just to be fo- the focus being on me mm. versus the focus being on the other person. Mm. I'm going to just naturally shift that around, mm-hmm. you know, to the other person's needs outweighing mine, being greater, being more life-threatening, mm. being more important. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a master at it and that is to avoid how uncomfortable it is, even just to have the focus on me. And then the next level or layer is actually thinking about what I do need because deep down there is a lot of, let's call it negative emotion or sadness or stress or worry or fear that I'm not aware of on a regular basis. I I can't possibly be aware of those things because then they would prevent me from taking care of all of the other people. Right. What I've been doing is trying to just retrain my brain to know and think at first it's fake, you know, but then I begin to believe it with enough repetition that I'm enough. It goes back to what you said earlier. I'm enough. Even if I don't do anything for anyone else, I'm enough just because I'm breathing in and out, mm-hmm. flawed in the perfect way, broken the most beautiful way. And I can begin to assess what needs I have. I try to start small. Yeah. Even if it's just like, what do I want to eat for dinner? If there's someone else involved, I don't care what I eat for dinner. I just want to eat whatever the other person wants to eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that sounds like, you know, steps toward humility, which is really good work. Um, and, you know, you referenced, I'm editorializing, but I, you essentially said fake it till you make it. And I think that that is a-okay. I think that's how we start the work. Um, Absolutely. You know, the other thing that comes up for me as you're chatting about this, we talk about the two being a heart center type. And I, I would love to hear a little bit from you about this experience of, because I think you said earlier, like there are times where like, I don't even know what I'm feeling. And yet we talk about this emotional intelligence that arises from the heart for the two. And so what does that mean to you? How, what sense making can you make of that? When you were, when you were talking about that before, the first thing that I thought of, interestingly enough, was why I love acting so much and why I got into it, I think. Um, I had a, a teacher in college who defined that as the study of human beings. 
And I just am obsessed with other people's emotions, right? Like taking that on as a character and making it my own feels very comforting and safe. Um, And at the same time, bringing the feelings that I have from my lived experience, how, how, what do I share with that character? How Mm -hmm. can I um, involve my own sense memory and my own emotions? Where does one begin and one end? Yeah. That was how I coped with all of my very large feelings as a kid and a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I threw myself into that as a hobby and then as a profession. I think a lot of the reason because I then I didn't have to deal with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very stereotypical, crazy actor, you know, acting as therapy <laughs> kind of idea. Yeah. And that is an emotional intelligence, right? Yes, I can have an emotional intelligence that is hyper-focused on others who are around me and simultaneously not necessarily wear that lens inward all the time at myself. I guess I would say I feel like I know how I feel about everything. It's just a question of sharing it with other people because it feels like a burden. However, when someone else, I'm begging everyone to do it with me. Mm-hmm. So what, how is it a burden? You know, but that goes back to the, we, you know, none of us have the same grace and compassion for ourselves as we do for other people. And I'm trying to remember that. That is what I am trying to remember. What would I tell someone else in this moment that I don't want to share how I feel or cry or take up an hour or whatever it is? that burdens the other person, what would I, what would I tell myself on the other side? Can we pivot just a bit to the stress, anxiety, and resulting anger that comes from taking on of projects and people's needs? What comes up for you as I share about that? I'm much better. Um, (laughs) But when I look back at myself as a parent Um, and a spouse in the time of my family that my kids were young. I mean, again, you can't change the past. You can only use it to change the future. So what comes up for me about that is it's heartbreaking to know that that was really at play in a lot of the dynamics in my home Mm -hmm. um, with my kids and me doing everything and not being able to ask for help or give directions or delegate or say, this is what has to happen. And I think I've worked really hard on it. Mm -hmm. It's better. Part of that is, (laughs) you know, they don't live here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'm almost, I'm almost at the empty nest. It looks different now, you know, even with them long distance where I have managed not to always be stressed about what they have going on. If they're in a bad place, if they need money, if they need help with health insurance, if they, you know, and I'm swooping in to fix everything and that actually doesn't teach them how to do anything on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, It just enables them to continue to be completely dependent on me, which I absolutely need, but I don't, you know, I'm trying to move forward in that, yeah. Um, specifically in my relationships with my kids. I guess that's how I see that playing out. And and also with my mom as she gets older and I'm 
her person and the person who's kind of like responsible for her as an only child and where are the boundaries there? So I guess my, my boundaries have really improved where I'm able to say like, I can't talk to you right now, or I'm in the middle of something, or I'm not, I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Mm -hmm. And that is more comfortable for me now than it used to be. Yeah. I'm sometimes still uncomfortable, but the more I do it, the more I'm building my skill in not feeling guilty. Yeah. I guess would be the big thing. Yeah. Something big for me recently in the last couple of years, like learning just the difference in definition between empathy and codependence. Mm. And as a two, you are helping and giving to other people, but it's really about that filling you up. Mm-hmm. And how do yeah. you separate that out? in a way that it isn't just about you meeting your own needs by meeting the needs of other people. Yeah. And that's been big for me. Yeah. Well, we are almost at time. I have one final question for you, and then I want to hear just anything else that's on your mind. But we've spent, you know, a fair amount of time um, talking about the you know, shoulds, coulds, woulds. And I'm, I'd love just to hear a little bit from you about like, what is beautiful and a gift about being a two in the world? Like, how do you see the contributions that you make as beautiful things? I think that I have been incredibly blessed to be a force in people's lives for good. Hmm through a lot of years of my interactions with students, mm-hmm. many settings. I've had a lot of young people, and not even young people, say to me, why do you know my thoughts? <laughs> like, why when you speak, why, why when you say things, I didn't even know that's what I was feeling or thinking until you put it into words And it made me cry. Mm -hmm. Those are the small yet enormous connections where people, even after years, come back and say that conversation, that experience, that interaction with you was life changing for me. Nice. That's not measurable. Right. But those emotional connections are what life and being a human being really is about. Yeah. And I'm I'm really grateful to sort of have the quality of those connections. Mhm. I love that. What final thoughts or or good bits of insight do you want to leave us with, Susan? I guess what I would say is if you are a two, I think each type has those things that people are like, oh, you know, that's a terrible quality of a two or those things drive me crazy about the two. Um, And I think that the awareness piece of how and why you are motivated in that way Mm -hmm. can really take those quote unquote negative qualities and put them more on a positive road in in the learning and the growing. Um, And I love in your questions, what, if you love a two or if you're close with someone who's a two, what is your advice or what would you say to those people? 
And I guess I have just had a very powerful experience since discovering the Enneagram where I understand my people way more. And I Mm -hmm. think they understand me way more than they did. And like I've referred to a couple of times, you know, during this conversation, they don't take it personally. It's not about them that I don't want to share, which it kind of used to be. Mm-hmm. Now they understand that it's about me and mm-hmm. they can give me a hand. You know, they yeah. can they can drag me along. They yeah. can say, I love you and I want to hear. Yeah. You're not a burden. You're not too much. You're not too yeah. emotional. You're not too dramatic. I love those parts of you and I'm here for it. Mm. And I need to be dragged along a little. Yeah. And they're doing it. Nice. They're really, they're really, they're really learning how to do it. And I'm really grateful for that because it has been a lot of growth and change in my relationships. I think that is beautiful advice for folks who are listening, who maybe are a two or know a two in their life. So thanks for sharing that, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing so freely, so openly, so willingly. Um, Will you come back again in a future season? We're going to pair folks up and and have conversations about how types intersect and interact, and maybe you'd be up for that? I love it. Okay, cool. Well, um, thank you, Susan. We will talk again soon. Be well. You too, Ryan. Thank you so much. We hope you are taking away a new learning or insight today, maybe about yourself someone in your life, or both? If so, time well spent. And if you are ready to explore this work on a more personal level, I invite you to be in touch. Visit us on the web at forwardbound.com. That's F-O-U-R-W-A-R-D-B-O-U-N-D.com. There you can learn more about our coaching and Enneagram education work and schedule yourself for a free of charge discovery call. Finally, we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram very soon. Again, thanks for spending this time with us. Be well.